welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. So our Torah portion this week, Kitetse, opens uh, in a really hard way. It describes going off to war and a series of events that can unfold in the aftermath of war. The first opening uh, mitzvah, if you will, uh, describes the ways in which a woman taken in battle is uh, can be eventually made into the wife of the soldier who captures her in battle. Um, and then the next uh, mitzvah in the Torah, seemingly unconnected, talks about a man with two wives, one whom he hates, and the Torah prohibits him from uh, favoring or disfavoring the ch- children of that uh, hated wife when it comes to um, you know, arranging for his um, estate to be divided. Uh, and then the Torah talks about a rebellious child who is killed, the Torah tells us, uh, because the signs of his uh, early rebellion point to... Um, uh, the Talmud says, Nidon Hashem Sofo, right? He's going to have a really, really violent end, and so he's killed for his uh, for his rebelliousness. So really, like, hard series of really negative, violent um, mitzvot. Uh, Rashi points out that these negative mitzvot all, like, come back to that first mitzvah. If you take a wife in battle, like, this is what's going to happen. That, that decision uh, will haunt you for generations, and, like, no good will come from that. Um, but then... That raises the obvious question, like, why is the Torah like, allowing this to happen if it's a really bad idea? And Rashi uses a phrase from the Tanchuma I think is really worth, like, kind of thinking about. Every time I encounter it, I think it really, like, hits me. He says, Lo dibra Torah ele keneged yetzahara. The Torah is speaking um, uh, to confront the evil inclination. I don't know. How would you translate that? Um, I think it's that the Torah is speaking to accommodate for what it knows is possible in the possibility of what people might do right this is this is the human experience some people are drawn towards this more negative violent side and they're the torah is accommodating for that yeah yeah but accommodating not in the sense of you know people are bad so like go ahead and be bad accommodating in the sense of um here's this like terrible like fact of the addressing the reality all possible of- options yeah, 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 exactly. Right. I didn't like, mean accommodating as approving, right? Right. It's definitely not, it doesn't seem like approval from these psukim. Right, it doesn't seem like approving because, um, like, the captive wife is described, like, she's mourning for her family, right? Like, that's, like, she's described in a much more sympathetic way than the guy who she's takes in her so in battle, much pain. right? It's like, she, she's yeah. given more, like, emotional fullness. So, like, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think taking her is approved of. And then, especially if you understand, like, the, the sequence of mitzvot as, as being like, you know, describing the negative consequence of doing this. So, yeah, the Torah is not approving. The Torah is um, like, like harm mitigation. It's saying like, here's mm-hmm. this really, really violent, negative, um, terrible thing that sometimes happens during war. And here's a way to make it a little bit more kind and a little bit more compassionate. But uh, I think if one pays attention to the Torah, the goal is to like not engage in this behavior altogether. And uh, I would go so far as to say even like, like, reach a point like as human society develops and progresses where this type of um, like battlefield sexual violence or taking prisoners of war as like as personal slaves like it becomes abolished altogether which uh, right I would hope so right there's this idea 
this this group of walls is so tough and right there's kind of amazing gemara around it and teaching this these sets of laws to a group of teenagers especially the last one which is ben sorer more when it's kind of like talking about them and saying, well, oh, yes. rebellious how, child. How did, that, how did that go for you? How did that work out for oh, you? Oh, my. It is an experience, right? Because there's a visceral reaction of, what, what do you mean his parents bring him to court? What do you mean his parents put him on trial and then ultimately give him to, over to be... What does that... How can I understand that as a student reading that in high school and saying, yeah, this is in our Torah, right? That's what the... So ultimately uh, one of the one of the ways to teach it is that the the rabbis kind of interpret it out of existence um, in a way that the the circumstances are so limited by the by the oral torah in w- the circumstances in which these laws apply right the the ben has to fit such specific criteria that ultimately it ends up being that this case never exists right so that's what i'm thinking about or never could exist never existed right they interpret it out of existence so that's what i'm thinking about as you were saying that about these other kind of tough laws about war, about taking uh, a woman captive in war, right? There, maybe there's an avenue for that as well, of saying, well, it's such specific circumstances. Yeah. Unfortunately, we, we know that, there, that, that, this, that type of sexual violence is still a part of warfare in many parts of the world. And, and so um, <sighs> yes. if only we, we reached a point where it would be a mere theoretical, right. you know, something to like kind of think about and contemplate and kind of like draw uh, meaning from, from just being able to contemplate it theoretically. Like it's, it still is a part of um, the world, of the reality. But I, I, there is also international law and there are conventions against war crimes and there are armies that try to impose like ethical standards on their soldiers. Uh, you know, even the best armies fail pretty, com- right. you know, pretty frequently uh, in imposing those rules on their soldiers. But, but, but we try. And, and I think um, the fact that such behavior is forbidden by, you know, the Geneva Conventions you know, for over 100 years already, uh, I, I think um, can, um, you know, show some degree of advancement, whereas in the time of the Torah, it was impossible to forbid this behavior merely to mitigate the harm. We're in a place where it is possible to forbid it. However, maybe, I don't know, not effectively. So, so maybe, so tough. <laughs> I guess you could be optimistic so or tough. pessimistic. You could say, yeah, we have stricter rules, but we don't follow them. Uh, I'd like to think that shows some amount of progress over, you know, the centuries. Um, but but I think the Torah is pushing us to move beyond the basic, like, you know, ethical, low ethical bar the Torah right. is setting in this area. It's pushing or us to... Or certainly the commentators, right? Or certainly Rashi is pushing us that way. Yes, yes. Right. Like, Rashi would not, you know, like, you know, if you said to, you know, Rashi, here's my... my Battlefield bride, Rashi would not say wonderful. Like I'm so proud of you, right? Like you, you missed the point. If you, do, you know, Rashi would say, I think, right? The point is not to do this, um, and and yeah, and, and any student of Torah should understand that Rashi's telling us. Uh, right. I think this opens a door to understanding the Torah much much more broadly in a more like subtle, like nuanced way. Because like some mitzvot seem really, really. Um, like exalted and refined and reflect like a really high goal to strive for, right? Like to, right. Um, uh, you know, to, like to give your, to be open-handed in your gener- generous uh, giving of, you know, food and money to the poor. Like that's a really high standard, right? To right. Uh, always remember you. speaking to baser instincts, right? Instead of the higher. Right, instinct. exactly. So it's sort of hard to like, some places the Torah seems like really, I wish I could, you know, fulfill this mitzvah in its fullness and some mitzvot, 
uh, other place in the Torah, it's like, no, no, like this mitzvah is not for you. This mitzvah is for, you know, for our ancient Near Eastern an- ancestors who lived in a much more violent uh, world who needed these types of mitzvot to like reduce like the worst possible um, harm that they could cause one another. And, and this mitzvah we don't need anymore. So I, I guess I think the, the richness of the Torah is that it contains all these kinds of mitzvot and is, you know, both cases. And, and we, I guess the challenge for us is to figure out like where the Torah is this like ethical goal to strive for and where the Torah is like pushing us towards moral development that already took place um, in some cases centuries ago. I don't know. With, with the news coming out of Israel this past week, it, it's very hard to read these verses charitably. I think I know what you're alluding to, but maybe just like want to be explicit because our readers might not, our listeners might not have, have oh, heard this. It's very hard. <laughs> um, there's an allegation of... of uh, rape. A 16-year-old girl came forward with an a- allegation of rape uh, against a group of men. Uh, she was vacationing in, in a lot, and and that ter- she brought the allegation to the police. There are different testimonies coming forth. Nothing has been proven, but there's a huge, a huge conversation around that going on in Israel right now, as as uh, the conversation around these crimes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a shocking, shocking story. I mean, it's the, the number of men involved is it's like dozens, right? It's, it's a horrific, horrific scale of this. We don't know, and 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 the the threshold at which it'll take to to convict, right? So that's the that's the. This is definitely resonating with current events of thinking. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to see permissiveness even in right. Rashi saying the Torah is appealing to the not appealing to or speaking to the baser instincts of man and saying let's. Let's put laws to to give a framework around this because you shouldn't be only giving in to your baser instincts. So let's make a set of laws, make a set of boundaries, and right. It's certainly certainly not not enough, right, to look at this and say, oh, well, of course we've right we've got Rashi's criticism, and then you know looking at it as a modern reader now, we have to go way far beyond it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I agree, um, and I think there, there are no you know there are no shortcuts. Like you can't. Um... Certainly. Like sometimes it seems civilization is a very thin veneer and like it takes very little Absolutely, to... Absolutely, right? That we're right? still speaking about it this week. The same crimes, right? That's what I'm saying. It's not that it's, this is an ancient Near Eastern text, you know, like coming out of that milieu. No, it's, it's, it's speaking to the instincts of humankind that exist yeah. now, that yeah. are in the news now, that, that we need to be talking about and thinking about and, and advocating around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So one thing happening right now in our congregation is we are accepting RSVPs or seat requests for in-person tefillah on Rosh Hashanah. We hope to do the same for Yom Kippur uh, in the coming days. And I just, for all of our listeners who are in Chicago or will be in Chicago for Rosh Hashanah, I want to really encourage you to fill out that form and request a spot. We are at this point striving really, really hard to find a place for in-person tefillah for every member of the shul who requests it. If possible, we can make some spots available for non-members and guests, but we're prioritizing members because spaces are going to be severely limited because of all of the, you know, health guidelines that are in place. And, and of course, you know, the last minute, it could all be, you know, we might have to, you know, have more strict restrictions, and none of this may be possible, but we figured it's easier to, like, cancel something that's planned at the last minute than to plan something that, you know, at the last minute that had not been planned. So we are moving ahead with these tentative plans to have in-person tefillah, but it's really important to, that people fill out the forms if they might be interested in doing so. I understand many of you 
for very good reasons are going to be davening at home or, or you know elsewhere. Uh, but if you want to attend an indoor or outdoor distance masked um, shortened Rosh Hashanah uh, Tzila, please, please fill out the form on the website. It was sent out an email. There's sort of like a chicken and egg kind of problem. We, we Until we know how many people want to attend indoors or outdoors and what times they prefer to do so, we, it's hard for us to know how many options to make available and plan for. So we're, we're sort of guessing how many, but we really, really like tr- try to fill out those forms. I, I know it's a uh, it's a very fraught decision to make, and it's people, many people feel great ambivalence and anxiety about uh, like praying, uh, you know, together in person. And I, I totally validate that. Uh, but right. make a decision, or make a tentative decision, please, because we need to make a decision. Um, <laughs> right, and I, as we uh, as we think forward on on family programming that we'll have over the holidays as well, we also need input from the community. We'll be uh, we're thinking about a backyard Camp Shana Tova uh, situation where we run activities in, a again, a health-conscious, safe, socially distanced, masked, and limited attendance uh, under all those precautions in that way. Um, we're actually recruiting and actively looking for people who have outdoor space that we might use for, for that limited in-person youth programming over the holidays so if you are available or know someone who has available space that we might use for the shul, please, please reach out. Um, it would be really, really useful as we, as we continue to tackle that chicken and egg problem of how many people are around, who we're catering to, who want, who's coming to these programs, so, and how we can provide that programming. So can I ask you a question about just like what was it like to attend our Shabbat Tfilot? I guess this was already like two weeks now that you've been in Chicago. Because you had, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, you had like not been going I to any, 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 you know. very, very much self-isolating before I came to Chicago. And suddenly I'm thrust into this role where I'm – it's my job to meet people and be, be present in the congregation, be a presence in the congregation. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, these have been my first in-person Tfilot in months. And I felt how, new. <laughs> what do I have to say? <laughs> I felt I felt safe. I felt like all the precautions were being taken, and that made me feel good about coming, and it makes me feel good about returning. Uh, that people are taking safety seriously and taking tefillah seriously, so that the two can go hand in hand. Safe tefillah. Um, on the other hand, it's really it's missing a spirit that I, you know, there's like the there's like the soul of shul. That we've got the framework of shul going on, and, and and all the people who are putting in so much dedication to to make it actually happen, and then because of the restrictions, like we can't really sing, uh, it can't be in a large crowd. It's it's a different feel, and that's that's been hard. Yeah. That's I, been hard. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I um, guess my own experience. I would say the outdoor tefillah has been um, has felt really safe to me. I don't know, just in terms of my subjective, like, sense, right? Yeah, those are the only ones that I've attended have been uh, the outdoor tefillot on Shabbat. Feels safe. And then I kind of, like, want to burst out singing and dancing, and I have to remember I can't. (laughs) So, Um. it's good that you haven't yet, but yeah. yeah, So, just, it feels really safe to me in a way that, like, I wasn't sure that I would feel quite that safe. So, I just, like, like, that's for whatever, you know, for my own subjective senses, whatever that's worth, which maybe is very little, it's felt safe to me. And I'll also share the indoor tefillah. You know, we we don't have access to the parking lot for weekday mornings, and we've had shahrit indoors um, 
you know, very distanced again with like, you know, to, as, and if you know, our shul seats uh, 600, right? So to have uh, 15 people in a shul that seats 600, there's lots and lots of room uh, and we're all masked and et cetera. But um, that that, that's safe? Still, I don't know. I've, I felt, I felt more anxious. I felt more anxious being indoors mm-hmm. with, you know, like I, I guess I, you know, I've, have not been indoors very much with other people in, in since March, and I go to yeah. the groceries to the supermarket every two weeks, and uh, you know right. that's, that takes me about forty five minutes to an hour, I guess, to do a load. Of, maybe you know, and that's that's basically the only other occasion in which I'm indoors right. with other people. Um, we haven't had a guest in our home right in, in months, right? So, um, so that I, just my again my subjective sense is that I, is a little more anxiety about being indoors. Um, you know, physicians we consult with say that it's say that it's reasonably safe if we maintain distance yeah. and wear masks. And you know, the city of Chicago Health Department says it's legal and safe if we maintain distance and wear masks. But just in it's my own subjective experience, like just that that's sort of how it's uh, shaken out for me. And I we know from surveys and from just what we've observed that about a third of the congregation is only comfortable with outdoor and not indoor, and as well as another third which is not comfortable with any kind of in person gathering and is. You know, waiting till it's safer to do so uh, to take part in that. So it's, I don't know. That's uh, that's that's my like you know. Yeah. And in ge- I'm so grateful to have joined a congregation wh- whose lay leadership and leadership and and congregants in general take take safety so seriously and take the health of the people around them so seriously. I, I really appreciate that. That I, there's been it's been so thoughtful and so calculated and always so sensitive with the with the way that tefillah has been organized. Uh, I'm just, I'm really grateful for that. It, it's, I, I'm, I'm grateful too that we've been able, you know, we've had like a group of a real partnership between the leadership of the, like the lay leadership and the professional team just to like really like try to enhance our like health standards as, as best we can. And that's, you know, the mikvah has made upgrades that, you know, I think we're well in advance of what other regional mikvot were doing, and the shul. You know, we were quick to close, and we opened with in a considered way, and, and ho- you know, hopefully, please God, that'll be sufficient to keep everyone safe uh, for the coming for the coming months. As we're circling back to like your sort of the that mixed emotion, I, I think um, you know, I, I shared in a, in a note to the shul before you worked for us, so you I didn't expect you have seen it. <laughs> the, the comparison to the scene that's described in uh, in Tanakh when uh, the second Beit HaMikdash is built, and those who remember the first Beit HaMikdash are crying, and those who have never seen anything better are really happy, and that kind of mixture wow. of, like, tears and, like, rejoicing at the same time, uh, wow. that, 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 like, still is with me when, like, we're, like, so happy that we can come together for something, right? That there is a minion we can say and we have that opportunity to like see another human being in real life, not just on a screen. Uh, like what yeah. a like that is like something really great. Um but also like it wasn't that long ago. I remember what the show was like as recently as February, uh when, you know, and the old people and the young people and the crowds and right and spirituality is so much about crowdedness. I think that's something that our our teacher, uh, Rabbi Avi Weiss, I think, has shared that, like, spirituality, like, the sort of shortcut to spirituality is crowding people together, right, and bringing people close together. The Rov Am Hadrat Melech, right? It's, it's you know. not just his, yes, yes, right. Rov yeah, Am Hadrat Melech is... Um, I know that that's about God, but God's also about yeah. us. Good, good. Know. Okay, so let's just translate you know? and define. That means that, like, there's <laughs> sort of a value, halakhic value in mitzvot being done in large numbers, right? It sort of reflects the glory of the king if, like, the king's congregation is large. So, And we're a mirror for that, for the glory of the king, right? That's the, yeah, I think it's all nice. a reflective relationship. Totally, totally, totally. So that's why there's, like, a halakhic preference for one big shul versus many small minyanim, right? And, uh you know, like one person makes kiddush for a whole table rather than everyone makes his or her own kiddush, right? So, Rov Hamadrit Melchitz do mitzvot 
all of us together. Um, I, I think what even the more so though, I guess sort of Rabbi Weiss's point was that it's not just the numbers, also like bring them together, right? Like you know, he came to our shul last year and he's like, guys, you gotta like you know, need some <laughs> renovations on this building because because everyone's spread apart. Like our building was designed. Right. Um, in the 50s at a time when the style of prayer was very, very different from the style of prayer that we, you know, would, would seek out now. And it's very, like, anti-spiritual, like, because it spreads people apart and puts people in these very cushy seats where they sit down and passively listen to the rabbi and cantor lead services. Like, that was how Jews prayed in our shul in the 1950s, and that's how the building yeah. was built. Um, and, no, like, our kind of spirituality, like, you know, bring people, find a way to bring people closer together, and, and that's going to... Anyway, so that's all can't do that right now. Have to stay apart. Very hard to uh, find that spiritual uh, uplift from proximity when, when we have to st- uh, stay apart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of, you know, the spirit of shul and uh, bringing back and reviving that spirit of shul that we had in the before times, um, we're working on a bunch of things for the high holidays and leading up to the high holidays in this month of Elul that can kind of bring that spirit home. Uh, so even if it's not in that uh, in the space, we can't gather in one space together. That will bring that spirit of of uh, high holidays and the season leading up to it home. So some of the things we're working on is a high holiday guide uh, for you and your families that you'll have at home that will guide you through the days. A, a little bit of what can I do now or what's available to me now. Uh, suggestions for perhaps activities or stories to to tell with your kids. Uh, songs to sing, different different ideas you can share. So we're working on that. Uh, in addition, we're, we've been thinking of and we're going to be rolling out a series on tefillah education, uh, a tefillot of the high holidays, uh, right, short explorations of the prayers of the high holidays leading up to the high holidays so we can have our get our feet wet a little bit before we're opening up the, the machser on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, and something else we're working on is uh, a, a tshuva beit midrash, where we're going to pair up people uh, on a revolving basis uh, using some fancy technology from Sfaria. That, I don't know, Rabbi Walkenfeld, you can talk to a little more. Um, and we're thinking of this idea called chavruta roulette, where we'll have like a central text that we're exploring around tshuva, around the season of repentance and returning to God, and you'll have a chance to learn with different people as you're randomly paired up through this technology. Uh, just a chance to connect, a chance to think deeply uh, about our own paths towards Rosh Hashanah and think about it with people you might not have had the chance to talk to recently. So that's going to be a really great opportunity, hopefully. It, it's going to be, it's an exciting time for the show. I, I, you know, you and I have had like a lot of really exciting conversations about you know, plans and they've begun to be fleshed out and some of them we even have tentative dates for and that's really exciting and now now it's like podcast official, okay? Like now, you know, people <laughs> know to look for, you know, see, look, well, you know, pay attention to the show website, read your emails from the show, we'll have things coming. The, uh, um, I, I think the Chavruta roulette on some chuva theme is going to be really fun. This is something that uh, I, I learned about from from, from Sarah, from, from my wife who works for Safaria. They they did this. They're, they're like launching this as like on a trial basis and making it available to a limited number of shuls. It's like a, I guess, a we mechanism in their platform for. Yes, you should feel special. Uh, and uh, you know, there's sort of a common text that our study that people study, and and you can sort of push a button and be linked to a Chavruta through the interface of the website, and then. Every five minutes, you can like find a new charuta, and that way, as a congregation, we can all like 
recreate that experience of being in the same room, studying the same text together. Here we're in our different rooms from our homes, but studying the same text together. And over the course of 45 minutes or an hour, we can, you know, each person can be paired with multiple other people all participating in the program. So I think it's a really neat way to uh, both like study some like texts that speak to important themes of the season, uh, as well as like get to do so with other members of our congregation, right? Which is like also like a really nice thing about the holidays that we connect with one another. So I, I'm I'm really excited about that, and, and we need to the Safari engineers need to like you know set it up for us. So we have to need, we need them to be willing to give give us an evening. But uh, we're we're on their list, and they know, they know we're interested, and and I'm and so listen, listen you know. Pay attention, and you'll hear about that, um, as well as everything else that we're working on. And hopefully, really day by day, I hope we'll be able to release uh, information about things that are happening. And as always, if you have ideas of needs that you um, that aren't being met yet, let us know. Or if you have ideas for um, ways to fulfill those needs, let us know, and we can do our best yes. to implement those ideas or help you implement those ideas. Yes. Um, or if I haven't met you, which is likely because we haven't been able to gather together. Please reach out. I'd love to meet everyone. Reach out with a time. We can Zoom. We can call, have a phone call. We can go on a socially distanced walk. Please reach out. I want to get to know you. Great. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Straw Hat. This is Straw Hat producer Haley Leventhal. Sorry this week's episode was a little late. So we've all been working hard, getting ready for the holidays. But as always, reach out to us if you have feedback about the podcast or questions about the holidays or things you want to see happen at the shul. Um, we're still here, even if we haven't all seen each other in person. So please reach out to us. And I hope you all have a wonderful and safe and healthy week. <laughs>